0: The return of the king, Revelation 1.5. You know, in so many of the carols, it's, it's unique that we have Christmas the week before we have New Year's because New Year's always anticipates what's going to happen in this next year. And the Christmas carols, so many of them include the first and the second coming of Jesus so this morning we want to look at the return of the king. Revelation 1.5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and releases us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and father. To him be the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Father, we pray that, first of all, that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher, and that each one of us might be spirit-filled as listeners, Lord, that we might be obedient to Your Word. It says in the first verses here in Revelation, how blessed are they that read these words and obey them. Lord, that we might be ready, ready to face you as your children. Lord, that those that might be here this morning, I don't know hearts, but you do. They don't know you as personal Savior, that today might be the day of their salvation. That you might work in their heart to show them they're guilty and lost and awful condition, Lord, before you dangerous, and Lord, draw them to yourself. Give them the faith, the trust in you as their Savior. I'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The return of the king. There are two reactions in this present day. When someone hears or you read a passage like this, you talk about the return of Jesus Christ, and that is apathy. And that could be on the part of believers or non-believers because they just don't believe that Jesus is coming back. say, well, I believe it. Well, see, Jesus always said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you believe, you obey. Obedience and belief are connected. Or as a faithful believer, there is the feeling of accountability and anticipation. Anticipation. Because we're going to finally see him face to face. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have never seen him, you love him. And your hearts are filled with unexpressible joy and glory. But on that day, on that day when he comes in the cloud. There are only two reactions, and that is inexpressible joy on the part of believers because he's coming to rescue his nation and all those that have survived the tribulation and complete and utter terror on the part of unbelievers because then they will know. Jesus said when his disciples asked him just before he went to, went to the cross, they're going by the temple They said, what will be the time? What will be the signs of your coming? How will we know? Jesus gave warnings, and he talked about the end of the world, the things that are going to be happening, the things that we experience today, wars and rumors of wars, trouble on every hand. People are unthankful. Children are rebellious. All kinds of wicked immorality, rebellion. He said, our reaction to those things should be, look up, your redemption draws nigh. But he said, this is not the end. And he said, be careful during those times in Matthew 24, because many will say, here's Jesus, or there's the Christ, or here's the Messiah. Oh, he's in here. Come here and and meet him in secret, he said, because when I come, every eye will see me. There'll be no question. You see, by that time in the tribulation, they're going to know who's pouring out all of this wrath on the world. There'll be no question. The first time... Most people missed him, most denied him, even his own nation rejected him. So that we as Gentiles might have this opportunity, this age of grace. But the second time, no one will miss it. No one will miss it. Verse 7, he says there, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Everyone will know. What is the reaction? Why is there this reaction? First of all, because of who he is. First of all, John 1, he is the God of the ages. He was in the beginning with God. He is the God of creation. All things were created by him. Without him was not anything created that was created. He is the faithful witness. John 1.18 says... No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath explained him. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Father, I have completed the work that you have given me to do. I have glorified your name on the earth. Now glorify me with the glory that I had before he came into the world. He completed his work. At the cross, he completed everything there was to do for our salvation. Before he died, Jesus said, it is finished. He's the Redeemer. He washed us from our own sin and his own blood. And because of that, he is the righteous judge. He is coming to bring judgment. The first time, he came to bring salvation. The second time, he comes bringing judgment. And that's why. And every heart is going to know that. And in terror, it says in Revelation 6, 12, John said, I looked, and when Jesus broke the, second, the sixth seal, the, the seal is the title deed to the earth, and as Jesus unrolls those seals, he's fulfilled all that is necessary for him to buy back what he created in the first place. It was wrecked by sin and by Satan. And he unrolls and he breaks the, the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tea tree casts its unripe figs, figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and every island were moved out of their place. Then the kings of the earth... And the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath is come and who is able to stand? See, many men resist God in this life and they think they've got this opportunity to stand like Pharaoh. Every time Pharaoh endured another plague, what did he say? He said what a lot of people foolishly say today. Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. No, it just made him harder. It made him more bitter until one day his whole army was destroyed. But in that day, every knee will be shaking, every knee, Every heart that doesn't belong to God will be in utter terror of the wrath that's coming down. See, God's going to allow Satan to bring all the forces of the world together to destroy his people. They're in the valley of Armageddon. And at the last minute, Jesus is going to appear. And they're going to think, oh, here's our opportunity. Turn your weapons on Jesus. And the Bible says a sword comes out of his mouth. In Isaiah 13, it says they melt before him. They just melt away because no one can stand before the judgment and the wrath of God. What is our reason of anticipation? It is in the promise of Scripture. Clear back from Genesis 3.15 that there would be a Redeemer to redeem us from sin. The prophecies of Isaiah that one day we would have that ruler and the government will rest upon his shoulder... And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. We hope for that. For the redemption of the earth, even the earth today, Romans 12, groans in anticipation of being redeemed. He's subjected to all of creation because of our sin. Not only creation, but our own bodies. John, First John chapter 3 says, Now, little children, behold, now we are the children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. The only way we can stand in the holy presence of God is if we are changed. And The Bible says that's going to happen. First, for those during this church age that are saved, 1 Thessalonians 3 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord of the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Forever with God. You know, the greatest thing about heaven is not everybody else being fixed, but me being fixed. Mm -hmm. People like to say, well, if it weren't for the people in the church, I'd go. (laughs) Well. You're one of them. And while we stand perfected in God's presence and dress in the righteousness of Christ in God's presence, He's still not done with us yet, is He? But one day, He'll make us perfect and we'll stand with Him face to face in His presence, forever in His presence. The promise of Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. We have Daniel's vision of that great statue, the head of gold, the shoulders and chest of silver, the waist of bronze, and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay mixed, representing all of the great kingdoms of the world and of the ages. So you have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, then Rome, and then the revived Roman Empire, which is the last kingdom with the ten toes, the ten rulers that give all of their authority to the beast, to the Antichrist that rules. And then he says, he explains that. He says, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed because a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. And it became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. In Matthew 24 and 25 and in Luke 19, Jesus, because he's asked, gives an overview of the last days and the time of tribulation and his second coming that takes place at the end of that tribulation. He gives warnings, and then he gives believers something to think about and unbelievers something to think about. He has the parable of the ten virgins those that maybe have religion, they're going through the form, but they don't really have relationship. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They have a form, but no power. They're not really saved. I don't know if you use Charles Spurgeon's morning and even. Chrissy and I read through that as our devotions many days. And yesterday in the evening he had such a powerful, powerful devotion. Charles Spurgeon said, not saved? Is this your mournful plight? Warned of the judgment to come, been to escape for your life, and yet at this moment not saved? You know the way of salvation. You read it in the Bible. You hear it from the pulpit. It is explained to you by friends, and yet you neglect it, and therefore you are not saved. You will be without excuse when the Lord shall judge the quick and the dead. Let me ask you, will you ever be saved? Is there any likelihood of it? Already the most propitious seasons have left you unsaved. Will other occasions alter your condition? Affliction and prosperity have alike failed to impress you. Tears, prayers, and sermons have been wasted on your barren heart. Are not the probabilities dead against you ever being saved? Is it not more likely that you will abide as you are until death forever bars the doors of hope? Suppose you should die unsaved. Your doom no words can picture. Write out your dread estate in tears and blood and talk of it with groans and gnashing of teeth. You will be punished with everlasting destruction from the glory of the Lord and from the glory of his power. A brother's voice would fain startle you into earnestness. Oh, be wise. Be wise in time and ere another year passes, believe in Jesus who is able to save to the uttermost. Consecrate these hours to lonely thought and if deep, Repentance be bred in you, it will be well. And if it lead to a humble faith in Jesus, it will be best of all. Oh, see to it that this year passes not away, and you, an unforgiven spirit, now, now, now believe and live. That is the warning that Jesus gave about his second coming. But it's not just about his second coming because you could die at any moment. Do not trust that you have tomorrow because there's no guarantee of tomorrow. Peter wrote in 2 Peter to the people that he loved, that people were a part of his his ministry, and he said, make sure your election in Christ, of all things, make sure you're saved. Secondly, Jesus warns believers in Matthew 25 and Luke 19. He said it's like... A master goes on a long trip, and he leaves his servants in charge. See, the kingdom has not yet come and present to this world, but we, as God's children, are ambassadors of the king. But one day, he's coming back. But we have this opportunity of faith in our time and our place to be found faithful. And when that master returns, Jesus gives the illustration... He gave five talents to some and two to others and one to another. And the one with five talents said, Here, Master, I have gained ten. I invested your money and I gained ten. I have something to give back to you. And the one that had given him two talents had four. And the Master said to them, You have been faithful a little bit. I'm going to make you ruler over much. Luke 16 says that if we're faithful with that, which is not our own, because you have nothing in this world that actually belongs to you. You know that? Your family, your possessions, your land, your positions, those are all stewardships given you by God, your opportunity for faithfulness. God has gifted you on purpose. He saved you on purpose. He gifted you for a purpose. And he doesn't expect you to be the Apostle Paul or Billy Graham, John MacArthur, William Carey, he just wants you to be you filled with the Holy Spirit, fulfilling your purpose so that Jesus might say to you one day, well done. And that's not just your options. It's not up to you to figure it out. God has a place. It's to go to him and find out what does the shepherd have for you. He wants you to know your giftedness and your purpose in life more than you want to know that. But are you available? The one says, Master, I know you were a hard master and you reap where you didn't sow and so I went and buried my talent in the earth like I didn't have it. And Jesus has a pretty harsh adjustment for that person. He says, somebody that can do that, have the gospel and not doing with it, probably isn't in the kingdom in the first place. Because he says, Take that away from him and give it to the one with ten and throw him into outer darkness. That's pretty, that's pretty harsh. But why is Jesus saying these things? So that we will spend time thinking about the path of our feet. Psalm 90 says, we, we spend our years like a tale that is told how quickly it goes, right? You don't have to have too many years before it looks like they're just melting behind you. Another year is gone. How will I invest my life this year for the kingdom. And yet we have so many worries, don't we? So many things that can distract us. Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says about worry. Don't be worried about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, for your body is what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And oh, the joy of a believer that begins to just rest in that provision. You can worry if you want to. But as a believer, you have a provider that's trying to get your attention and lead you and provide for you overwhelmingly. And the great part of that is the fact that he is the one doing it, and you know that. It's not just the thing he provides. is that you have that relationship, and he hears your prayer. And he provides so richly. And you, by being worried, can you add a single hour to your life? Are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? This is what unsaved people look for. It's what the Gentiles eagerly seek, all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Daniel was taken by a wicked, ungodly king and put it in a wicked, ungodly environment and given name of a false god but the bible says in daniel's but daniel purposed in his heart he made a decision now we have disciplines but we know it takes grace what god is looking for first of all in our hearts is availability but oh it ought to be the anticipation of every believer to hear from jesus well done well done fathers we gather around the communion table Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin left unconfessed. When we remember the great cost of our salvation and the personal accountability that you died for us individually, Lord, when we think of this season of giving, we also know we can never outgive you, and we can never equal the unspeakable gift of Yourself, Lord Jesus. And Lord, in ourself, we're not able even to accomplish anything, but Lord, by Your Spirit, by Your grace, Lord, that this year we might grow in You, that we might be better equipped, Lord, that we might find our purpose, that we might be found pleasing. And Lord, that we might be looking up As Pastor Garrett used to say every week in his radio program, keep looking up, Jesus is coming, it may be today. And then we'll gather on your throne and forever sing your praise. And Lord, we anticipate that, we look forward to that. Lord, in the meantime, Lord, I pray, stir us up to faithfulness. Amen. It is our tradition to sing hymns of praise, songs of worship. It is also a time for the Holy Spirit to inspect our lives. As the psalmist said, search me, Lord, and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me that we come with clean hands to the table. If you belong to him, he's already cleansed your life. He's already dressed you in his righteousness. But as he told Peter, sometimes our feet get dirty but it's by confession. But if you've never received Christ as your Savior, today can be the day. In the quietness of where you sit, if you bow your heart before the Lord and just tell Him that you're convinced that you are in need of a Savior because you're a sinner lost in your sin, but you believe that He died for you and receive that payment by faith. And the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With mouth confession is made, resulting in salvation. And he promises you will never be ashamed. You will never, you'll never be ashamed that you made that decision.